0: Now, it's exciting to be here tonight, uh, uh, to be worshiping the Lord uh, with you all, and uh, I'm going to start tonight by sharing a story that uh, I think I've shared before with the Emissio Renovation uh, crew, so bear with me, but uh, it makes sense because it's a story that uh, I share, we share often as a family. You know, it's like one of those stories that you go back to all the time, and you're hanging out with people that think it's really funny, but it's not, but you think it's funny? You know those kind of stories, family stories? Well, here's the deal. So, uh, Dorian and I, we lived in Boston uh, for three years in the early 2000s uh, when I was going to seminary. And uh, uh, during that time, we would periodically come home, okay, and visit family. And uh, so we'd see parents when I were their holidays, or sometimes we'd just shoot home because we miss folks. And so one of these weekends, we decide we're going to come home and spent some time with some family, and uh, we had the opportunity to have breakfast with uh, great-grandpa Goddard, grandpa Goddard, who's now uh, great-grandpa Goddard, and uh, uh, so we we were sitting down and um, having pleasant conversation. Uh, Doreen's uncle, uh, who has Down syndrome, he's a really uh, sweet guy, really funny guy too. So they start by engaging their granddaughter. They say, hey, uh, Doreen, so you're teaching uh, fourth grade, right? How's that going? And Doreen had a lot of really neat things to say. That's what happens when you hang out with Doreen. You hear a really lot of neat things. And so they kind of went back and forth. And uh, all of a sudden, they looked at me and uh, uh, Danny, Uncle Danny, in a way that only Uncle Danny can ask the question, uh, says to me, so uh, Mike, uh, you still do nothing, right? And we all kind of laughed hysterically, as I maybe fumbled through a few words to explain and build a case for my meaningful life, uh, that existing of reading books at Starbucks eight hours a day. Um, and I just kind of had to sit there and go, "Yeah, I do nothing. That's exactly." what I feel like I'm doing often. You know, It's interestingly enough, I think if you go into Maisie's meets at about 9.30 on a Tuesday, uh, my dad probably assumes the same thing, right? Like, today's your day off. Well, no, I I had a meeting in Liverpool. I figured I'd stop in. Oh, sure. Looks like a day off to me, right, Dad? (laughs) So people wonder, what in the world uh, do you do anyway? Anyway, lots of hubbub talk about The person of Jesus in our world today. Who is he? And what exactly did Jesus do when he was here? I can assure you it was more than nothing if you engage the Bible and you begin to read about the person of Jesus and what he did when he lived here on earth 2,000 years ago. So we're going to raise that question tonight. What did Jesus do? Very important question. Because as we look at uh, what we are called to do as Renovation Church in these communities, that's an important question to ask, right? We're saying we believe and belong to Jesus, and we're going to present the gospel of Jesus in the way of Jesus, right? Building our understanding of the nature and purpose of the church on the person of Jesus and his being his body. If we're going to do that, then surely we better ask the question, when we look at what we're going to do as a congregation, we're going to ask the question, what did Jesus do? Right? Very important question. So what did Jesus do when he was here, according to the Bible? And how does that impact what we do? And then lastly, I think the question that is raised for us is what hope do we have that what we do, that we're setting out to do in these communities together, will have any impact that lasts? What hope is there? For impact in this place. Matthew 9, 35 through 38. What did Jesus do? How does that impact what we do? And what hope for impact in our community do we have? Matthew chapter 9, verse 35 through 38. Follow along with me tonight. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages. Teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into His harvest. I don't know how long ago it was, 15 years or so maybe, where the whole WWJD bracelet thing was hot? Some of you wearing one tonight? Wow, fads come and go, don't they? Remember the whole what would Jesus do thing? Where everybody had those little bracelets that you could buy at Sacred Melody or something like that. I don't even know if they were still hot during the online era. But I remember uh, youth groups and children's ministries and all of that ordering these things by the hundreds, and passing them out to everybody. And it was the hot thing, right? This is ethics. This is Christian ethics. Right? Kind of simmered down to a bracelet. In every situation, we're asking the question, what would Jesus do? And the implication by asking that question is what? That that's going to impact what we do. Right? What Jesus does has a profound impact on his followers. Those who claim to believe and belong to Jesus, those who place their faith and their trust in the person and work of Jesus, now see what life is all about. Living in the way of Jesus in a way that represents and honors Him. So what did Jesus do? Not necessarily asking the question, What would Jesus do? If you ask the question, what would Jesus do? You got to answer it by looking at what? What Jesus did do. Right? We don't need to speculate per se, it's revealed to us. Amen? What Jesus would do when God tells us in His Word what Jesus did do. So we look here, verse 35, this is what Jesus did. Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages. Jesus went throughout all those cities because He knew why He was sent. He wasn't sent to just simply sit in an office behind a desk and wait for people to come to Him. He was sent by the Father into the world to pursue the people of that world, that known world, and He actively did that, right? He went around throughout all the cities and the villages in that whole area surrounding Israel and Judea and Jerusalem. And what did he do? The text is very clear. Love that about the Bible. There's so many instances in Scripture where we, you know, we kind of go, what's going on there? You know, We wonder if, if God can really be known, if, if he's just some conceptual thing out there that's distant and hard to understand and confusing. But when we come to a text like this, we see it's very clear. God is clear in his revelation to us in the Scriptures, and we see it here. This is what Jesus did. He went around, and he taught in their synagogues. Jesus was a teacher. That's what he did. People ask you, what did Jesus do? One of the answers you could say is that Jesus taught people. Right? He had a message. He, had, uh, he was a, a rabbi. He was a teacher, and he would do those very things. Technically, or, or, or specifically, he's teaching in the synagogues, where the people were, where they gathered to learn and to be taught Jesus was present there, and he was teaching them. He had something to say. He had truth to reveal. The second thing that we see is he's not just teaching in the synagogues, but he's proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom of God. Right? This word proclamation is different than teaching. He, teaching has this this idea of like you know we're, we're going to teach something. It's very uh, step by step. It's order by order. Uh, but but when you look at the word proclamation, it is a it is a heralding. It's an announcement. It's a proclamation. This public declaration of a reality. So when Jesus came into the world, he not only taught in the synagogue, but he literally in these villages and towns heralded proclaimed an official announcement about the fact that God reigns. That's what he did, right? That's what a a herald does. That's what a preacher does, right? It's a a proclamation. It's it's an announcement that, okay, the, the person that's communicating comes with the authority and the content and the message of the one who sent him. He doesn't come with his own message. He comes with the message of the one that sent him. That's what Jesus did. He came from the Father and he came with the message of the Father to the world that God reigns. That's what he did. Last, we see that Jesus healed every disease and affliction. When Jesus encountered brokenness in the world, he did something that was unthinkable and uh, and unimaginable to the human mind. He Not only proclaimed the kingdom, but he also uh, made a withdrawal of the power of the kingdom into human time and history in that moment. He brought a new age of the kingdom that the people of God anticipated. He said, Look, God reigns. Let me show you what happens when God reigns. Healing. Right? He sees the brokenness of people's lives. He sees the practical issues that sin has caused in people's lives, their illnesses, their diseases their infirmities and he is going to do something about it in order to validate and authenticate his proclamation god reigns sin does not reign sickness does not reign god reigns it's an awesome thing that's what jesus did lives i'm sorry lives were being transformed by his power that came alongside his proclamation This is what Jesus did. This is also the pattern we see in the ministry of the Apostles, right? We've been talking about that in the book of Acts. What did they do? Jesus was a preacher and a healer. What did the apostles do? Right? They preached, and then what would they do next? Healed. There was a message being proclaimed and a power that came with that message that authenticated it. See? We're not just blowing smoke. This is real. God reigns. And Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father. That's what the apostles did. We cannot overlook the fact that in his going, he was proximate to people. Right? Right? He was in the villages. He was traveling around. He was going to the people, and he was in the midst of the people. If you're not proximate to the lives of people, how will you teach them? there's no proximity, there is no mission. Right? Ed Stetzer says, your church does not exist to keep us away from the world. We talked about that last week. Proximity. He was engaging people. As he's walking and traveling, he's engaging the brokenness of people's lives, and he's doing something about it. We cannot also uh, miss the content of his proclamation. Man, man there is so much debate and discussion about what exactly did Jesus teach? What exactly was his message? And some would go toward the, toward the line of, it was all of grace, it was all of love, it was all an accommodation, welcoming this, that, and the other thing, right? And then you have the other, that is, you know, it, was, it was all truth and confrontation and in the face. You have this kind of dichotomy or this spectrum, and there's a lot of discussion about what was the content of his communication. The reality is, is it here, we just see that the content of gospel mission is the gospel. What was he teaching? Right, The good news of the kingdom of God. God reigns. Right, My presence in the world means that you now need to repent and turn from your sin and turn to God in preparation for his kingdom. He's preaching the kingdom of God. He's preaching that, and we see His power. We can't miss that. And friends, we look at that, and we cannot for one second uh, build our mission or our ministry together on anything else other than the foundation that Jesus has laid for us here. This is what we are all about as Renovation Church, is it not? If we are on mission, we are teaching one another and the world the truth. About Jesus. If we are on mission, we are proclaiming a message, a message that many times the world is not interested in hearing, that is hostile to our message, that doesn't want to hear about God's solution to the human problem, sin. But we have an announcement to make Jesus is Lord. Repent, turn to Him and be forgiven and filled with God the Holy Spirit. We see that in the book of Acts. And the reality is this, is that while we don't have the divine power that Jesus has, right? We are His instrument to not only proclaim, but also, right, by the power of the Holy Spirit, to see the transformation of life. And that might be healing. God might do that. Do we, do we believe that God has the power in this moment, not just then, but in this moment, to do radical things that wake us up to the reality that God is reigning, not sin and not sickness. Do we believe that? Or are those just fairy tales and folklore? Or does God truly show Himself in the lives of hu- in the midst of human brokenness and say, I have power over that? Right? That's what miracles, that's what it was all about. God revealing Himself, and in the midst of it, graciously transforming the lives of people from the the spiritual sense all the way to the physical. If God is sovereign, He's sovereign over everything. And if the kingdom of God is real, it's reigning over every aspect of our lives, even the physical. That's what we are called to do here. Be a part of the teaching and the proclamation of the Gospel, and a part of the transformation of people's lives. Our pattern for mission is Christ's. Right? We don't want to do anything that is not representative of what He has done. Or at least an outflow of what He has accomplished. This is what we are called to do. Right? It's important for us tonight to reinforce our Christ-mirroring mission. Our pattern for mission is Christ's. That's it. So what are we to do? Let's look at what Jesus did. Let's look at what the apostles did. And let's pattern ourselves as we take a look at this year after Him. Let me ask you a question. Does this describe in any way, shape, or form the pattern of our existence? Is our life characterized by the teaching and preaching of the Gospel of Jesus Christ? And is our life characterized by uh, the power of God in our life, through our life, to bring transformation to people who are broken? Let the Spirit of God work on you there. Is this the pattern? What's the rhythm? We like to talk about life rhythms, right? What's the rhythm The pattern of your life. It's about proclamation. It's about the power of God in you and through you. This is what we are called to do. Our pattern for mission is Christ's. Maybe there's more proximity that needs to take place in your life. Maybe you're just huddled up with a bunch of believers and you're separate from the lives of those who do not know Christ in your neighborhood, your workplace. Maybe the Spirit of God is saying to you tonight, make yourself more available to the lives of broken people who need need me. Maybe you're quiet, just afraid to speak up. You can't imagine sharing the Gospel. And you may be present, and you may be proximate, and you may be caring, but to actually begin to articulate Any content related to the kingdom of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ, that's a big step. Maybe this year, the Holy Spirit gives you an increased courage and faith to begin to walk in and step into the proclamation of the gospel as a regular pattern of your life. Friends, if this is not our pattern as a church, we will not fulfill the mission that God has called us to. Amen? We will not do it, but I believe the Spirit of God is going to do it in us and through us. Second thing, not only is it important to reinforce our Christ-mearing mission, but I think it's also important to reinforce our Christ-mearing posture toward broken people in our community. Look at what the text says. When He saw the crowds, when Jesus saw people, remember, He's in the midst of them. When Jesus sees the lives of people, He had compassion for them. When he interacts with the world, when he interacts with sin, when he sees the effects of sin, when he interacts with the people around him, he is now welling up inside with compassion, this this sympathy, mercy, and love in the deepest part of who he is. That's how he postures himself toward the lives of people in his community there. And the text says why he felt that. He felt compassion for them because when he saw them, he saw them to be a harassed and helpless people. They were wearied. They're exhausted. They're dejected. They've been living under the hands of very religious leadership that was oppressing them, impiling more rules upon more rules. Man made that they were they were harassed and they were helpless they were they were unable to rescue themselves very vulnerable and the illustration that the text gives us it really is this that they were as he looked at them harassed and helpless they were sheep without a shepherd Can you imagine the vulnerability of sheep that have no shepherd that's why we talk about eldership tonight It's so significant. Why? Because the sheep need shepherds. Without shepherds, without leadership, without elders, the vulnerability of the sheep is heightened. And that cannot be. Not the people of God. Not the sheep that are in the flock of God. There could be no vulnerability to God's people. Amen? God protects His own. And how does He do that? By installing and appointing elders shepherds in their place but you see the indictment here they were sheep without a shepherd an implicit indictment that those who overlooked and oversaw their lives those who are responsible for them had abdicated their responsibility and were not leading them in a God honoring way bottom line in sheep shepherd terms The sheep had no food. The sheep had no direction. The sheep had no protection. These people lack true shepherds. And the good shepherd, Jesus himself, is moved with compassion for these broken and vulnerable people. He had good reason to feel this for the people. And I think as we look at our communities, we have good reason. As we interact with it, as we become knowledgeable of the realities, facts about our community, guess what? I think if we know Jesus, we can't help but well up with compassion. So we looked at the lives of people in our community. Onondaga County, according to the American Church in Crisis by Dave Olson, it's 3% evangelicalism in Onondaga County. Heard us talk about that a lot. These numbers are old. 08, I think this book came out in 08. 17% of the people that live in this county go to church on a given week. Friends, you do the math, but 83% of the people that do not live in Anadaga County, do live in Anadaga County, do not attend church. Some of you are like, now wait a minute, all my friends go to church. <laughs> Two issues. You don't have a lot of friends, or y'all been hanging out with the Christians, right? So and then you look at families and according to the Syracuse.com, 45% of all births are to an unwed mom. Again, mad love and sensitivity and compassion. We want to enfold these single moms. We want to love them and care for them and support them with all of our gospel love and intention. Friends, that's a breakdown of the family, that's absentee pops. Where's dad? This is our community. That's just the county. Now, when we look at our liverpool Ballsville clay area, we're looking at 94,000 people in, in, in four zip codes. Now, it's not the most diverse area. Uh, there's about 89% Anglo. You know, you're looking at families. These are suburban families. You typically have a traditional family structure, but the single motherhood rates are definitely um, impacting that. This is what's interesting. Their most pressing concerns are time for leisure, parenting and marriage issues, health care, insurance concerns, and a satisfying job and career. Now friends, this is not brokenness that is so obvious and on the surface, is it? Right, this, this, we start laughing at those things a little bit. Like when we think about some of the needs in the near west side, like no food, no shelter, no clothes, major addictions, at least that we see on the surface, we begin to think, man, the people in the suburbs, they've got it all together. If their biggest concern is health insurance and having enough time for leisure, they're probably doing okay, Right? But again, the needs in our community may not be blaring on the surface. We scratch our heads all the time. How do we bring the gospel and serve the brokenness of our community when they all seem to have everything together with their SUVs that pull into garages that shut and they've got 55-inch screen TVs, leather couches, right? They've got it all. But what's really going on in their family and in their home? In talking with Dan Williams, who's done ministry, he's going to be preaching next week, by the way. Yay. Dan Williams, pastor of North Central here, is going to be preaching here next week. Excited to have him. In talking with him and some other pastors about brokenness in the suburbs, it's interesting. I think they tie back to their most pressing concerns. He calls it the the five D's that define brokenness in the suburbs. He talks about a diagnosis, right? People get sick. They're diagnosed with some illness, or some uh, issue, or some condition. That, That goes beyond class, that goes beyond ethnicity, that goes beyond geography. We, no matter how much money we have, get sick. And we're diagnosed with things. People are dealing with death. The human problem. at Least the result of the greatest human problem. Divorce, right? The rates of divorce are climbing. Their house may look nice. They may have nice mulch and a beautifully trimmed driveway, but the reality is their marriage is in shambles on the inside. There's dysfunction in the home. Moms and dads fighting with daughters and sons. Siblings at war. Lack of forgiveness. Relational issues out the wazoo. Again, they're not on the surface with the smile when you run into them at the the grocery store or the coffee shop. But these are the concerns of people, right? Time for leisure, parenting issues, health care, insurance. Those are diagnoses, fear of diagnoses. And a lot of people suffer with depression and disappointment, don't they? Because their job is not satisfying. Their expectations about what they were going to do post-college fell apart at the seams, and 15 years into their career, they've never had a promotion, they're struggling financially, you get the idea. It's not on the surface. But brokenness is there. And of course, who knows how much debt is on their credit card. This is our community. When we look at that, are we frustrated? When we look at that, Uh, what what do we do with this? And there's so much more that I have written down here, could say, should say. But what do we do with the lives of broken people in our neighborhood? Knowledge of their struggles and their conditions. How do we respond to it? Do nothing? Simple indifference? And some of us here need to admit that that's true. Right? Right? I will confess a sin to you. There are often moments in my life where I see need and I pull into the driveway and go home and have spaghetti. Can we just be honest about that? That as we interact with the brokenness of our community, we are often unlike Jesus who wells up with compassion, deep sympathy, and simply struggle with apathy and indifference to the people that live around us. Friends, if we don't have Christ's posture, His compassionate posture towards our communities, we will never reach them. Right? But maybe some of you do have compassion. Maybe the knowledge of their brokenness does well up inside of you a a desire to see God do something about it. And you feel for them. You identify with their struggle. And you love them. I believe some of you in this room are very much in tune with the brokenness of people around you. And compassion leads to action, right? What does Jesus do? He doesn't just feel for them. What does He do? He dies for them. He gives His life for them. He's willing to lay it down for the sheep. That's what the good shepherd does. He lays down His life for the sheep. Are we willing, like Jesus, to not just feel bad, but to act? Does knowledge of their brokenness lead us to a place of inspiration by the power of the Holy Spirit where we are motivated both by our heart and our hand to do something about the brokenness of our community? Friends, we've got to look at this diagnoses, death, divorce, dysfunction, depression, and debt. We as a community of people need to look at those issues and say, we've got to do something about that, don't we? Because God reigns. God reigns. God reigns. This is Christ's posture towards people. So as we do that, as we take His pattern for mission and Christ's posture towards people, we wonder, what hope do we have? And look at what Jesus says. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into His harvest field. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are are few. Yes, Jesus sees the brokenness in people's lives, but he also sees something that often we fail to see in our, in our 97% not evangelical communities, doesn't he? He sees not just the brokenness, but he sees the full redemptive and restorative potential that the kingdom of God has in their lives. Do you? Do you look at that and say, and you look at your community, do you look at Baldwinsville, Liverpool and clay, in the midst of brokenness, in the midst of human sin and all of its results, in the midst of our country just falling apart in terms of its faith in Jesus, in the midst of all of that, do we truly believe that the harvest is plentiful? Jesus had 12 guys, man, right? Like, 12 guys. And he looked out and he's like, I don't know about you, but I see the full redemptive and restorative potential that the kingdom of God has in the lives of these people. Do you see that? In church planting, we, we can count the seats that are empty and filled. We can count the dollar bills that come in the baskets. And so often, we can walk out of here every Sunday night and say, man, where are we going? Anybody ever feel that? Right? I'll never forget welcoming... 70 people at Nottingham High School in an auditorium of 1,200. Put a positive spin on that. Hey, these represent all the lives of people that we need to go reach, right? But There's a truth to it. Do we look at the empty seat and see opportunity? Or do we see problem? Friends, the harvest is plentiful. It's not about the community. It's not about, right, they're not the issue per se. The, the, in order to see the harvesting of the full redemptive and restorative potential of our community, we need more laborers, don't we? We need us, right? God's going to use us. He's sending us. Pray to the Lord to send out more people like us. We need to see ourselves as sent laborers into the harvest field. Is that true? Hope for impact. It's just a labor issue. And so we're called to prayer. Christ honoring dependency. Christ obeying dependency upon the Lord of the harvest to send more people out. Friend, you've been sent to Liverpool, Baldonsville, and Clay. That's why you live there. And if you don't live there, that's why you're in Cicero. That's why you're in North Syracuse. That wherever you live, you've been sent there. Wherever you work, you've been sent there. Why? To be a laborer that brings in the harvest of the kingdom of God. Are we optimistic? Are we full of faith as we approach this year in mission together? Are we feeling frustrated and dejected? I think we should feel excited and see the opportunity. Believe the word of Jesus that, yeah, there there seems to be a low receptivity in our community. That may be true, but do we believe that the harvest is plentiful? And the core issue is really equipping all of Christ's people to just simply be laborers to bring about the full harvest and redemptive potential of the kingdom of God in Liverpool, Bondsville, Clay. Do we believe that? Or is this just something? We just want to miss football games on Sunday night. Steelers aren't playing, I know. We have every reason to hope, don't we? Harvest is plentiful. Pray. Friends, we need to be broken on our knees in prayer. We've talked about that. We can't manufacture results. Only God can do it. He's going to do it through us. He's going to do it through us. His instrument. This is our posture toward people. It's Christ. This is our pattern for mission. It's Christ's. This is our... Hope for harvest. It's in Christ. It's all about Christ. Everything we do is built on, in service to, representative of Jesus Christ. We unapologetically submit and believe in Him. You know, all of you know that uh, we, I think you all know that my wife and I live in DeWitt. That's not Liverpool, Baldensville, and Clay. Just Some of you are like, where is the wet? Okay, that's not the northern suburbs. It's a long backstory to that. If you want a boring story, by all means, we can have coffee. That's what I do for a living, right, Dad? I I drink coffee. Um, All right? Go to breakfast, right? (coughs) A lot of respect for my dad and what he's done the last 35 years. Um, But I do like coffee. You know, we're praying about moving up here. Long story why we have not yet. We're praying about it. We've been looking at houses. i got to be honest. And some of you may have even heard this from me before. Like, I don't get what's going on in some people's yards. Like, you know, you look at the houses, and like, I'm just awestruck so struck by vegetation. Does anybody like vegetation? Like, really? Like Do we need to have that many trees? Any tree fans? I know Sarah Daly likes trees. I mean, hey, God has two images in the scriptures about trees tree in the garden, tree at the end. God loves trees. For obvious reasons, He put them in the world. But now, when I'm going to buy a house, I want to see the house, though, right? So I've been looking at houses, and, you know, sometimes not just the trees, but some of the other factors, not just the brush, but Man, the cosmetic work. Like, man, there were so many times I would look at the houses. The first time I was going to buy a house, and I walk in the house, I'd be like, "Wow, this is it!" You know, look at that nice paint. Got wainscoting. Whoa, man, this is. It. And my realtor, knowing that I'm a complete idiot, says, "Are we done here?" I'm like, "What? Don't you see all this?" He's like, uh, "Roof shot, hot water tanks gone. Right? Like, there's issues. The house is, the, you know." The foundation is, is broke. and I'm like, yeah, but don't you see the paint? Looks nice, right? He's like, are we done here? You can easily get distracted in church planting by some of the details, about some of the, the fun and exciting things, the, the cosmetics, if you will. You can easily lose sight. Friends, we cannot allow things that stand in the way, challenges we face or any wow factor, exciting, any weird romanticism about what church planting is, we can't let any of those things impact our, our mission, our posture towards people, and our hope. We just can't do that. We've got to see the forest through the trees. We've got to see the substantive nature of the house. Right? Christ is the foundation, we're good. Christ is the structure, we're good. Christ is the roof, we're good. We're going to buy that. We're building everything that we do on Jesus, nothing else. right? Right? What about our preferences? Oh man, I, I, I don't, I'd rather meet in North Syracuse. Okay, We're going to all have our preferences, but man, preferences will distract us, won't they? Well, I think we should only pay $2,200 a month for our There's so many things, the way we think, and the, the, this perspective and that perspective, that can become so distracting. Let's see, at very least, let's start the year with a very clear picture of the big, important things, right? You think about if you're going to fit all of these stones into a container, we're going to start not with the, with the small stones, right? We'll never get the big ones in. We're going to start with the big stones. And then we can pour in the little ones around to fill it up. The big stone is Jesus. He's the stone. And His mission, and His posture towards people, and the hope that we have in Him to unleash and uncover the full redemptive uh, potential uh, that the kingdom of God has in Liverpool, Baldur'sville, and Clay. We're going to build it on that. Our pattern for mission is Christ's. Our posture towards people is Christ's. And our hope for harvest is in Christ. It's all about Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, I'm grateful for this day in the life of Renovation Church. I'm grateful for this moment entering into our second year together. Ah, Lord, I just pray that we would not grow distracted. Pray that we would remain focused on what You have called us to do and really more focused on You. May we never lose sight of the beauty and the wonder and the glory of Jesus in our lives and in our ministry together. If there's anybody here tonight that maybe for the first time is seeing the beauty and the glory and the wonder Jesus, I pray that they would place their faith and trust in Him tonight. May they see who He is and hear His message that God reigns. That the invitation to repent and believe is is clear and personal. And they say yes to Jesus tonight. And Lord, we do pray for the empty seat. We pray for our neighbors, our coworkers, our family and friends that do not know You. We pray that You would use us to be heralds and proclaimers. That You would use us to bring about the transformation of lives from the physical to the spiritual, emotional, that You would do that in us and through us. It's in Your name we pray. Amen.